Hi there, I'm the reason we can't eat at Applebee's anymore, Nato Kitsch. I've seen way too many pieces of long-form queer media and decided the best way to justify that was by making a podcast to discuss them with all my friends. Let's meet tonight's Queer Cheer Squad. Give me an A! I put the ace in Space Cadet. My name is Amelia. And you can find me at the Nefarious Navigator on Instagram. Give me an M! This is Mel. I haven't been a cheerleader for 20 plus years, and you can find me at Tumblr at perhaps it may be dragons. And give me an R. Hi, my name's Rel, and I only joined the squad so I could date the quarterback. You can find me at <laughs> SusQueenRel on Twitter. So, welcome for tonight's meeting of the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association as we discuss But I'm a Cheerleader, a film that correctly summarizes the story about cheerleaders with butts. That's like the first minute and a half of the movie, right? Is just cheerleaders and butts. It's true. It's true. You know, I actually think that we can't really summarize this any better. So, you know, well, thank you all for joining us. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm thanking people. Okay, let no, let's let's actually talk about why we're doing this film. So I this movie came out in nineteen ninety nine, right around when I was um finishing elementary school, and I first watched it in middle school with one of my friends who had recently come out to me as a lesbian. Um, and I feel like for me personally, and probably a lot of people that watched it at such an impressionable young age, uh, it was a formative film in discovering like their own sexuality also. Um, along with a lot of anime, but <laughs> that might just be me. <laughs> um, and I think a big part of that is because it kind of very early on when it was still acceptable to like blast, you know, all this anti-gay stuff on airwaves and things like that and on television, it really showed kind of a light on the anxiety felt by a heteronormative society about queer people. Uh, and I think the satire really helped to make that look as silly as it is. Like, you know, just like the gender roles that they have and like the ideas they have about like the queer community and stuff like that. And this movie is very silly. Yeah. It cranks it cranks the queer up all the way to 11. It's actually kind of funny because some of the, the silliness, you know, the, the over-the-topness of this movie... Uh, kind of got dismissed by critics initially, even though this movie is very important to a lot of people, especially in their de- development. Okay, and I have a quick cheer for you guys that I just wrote. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's super short. Super short. So Amelia, summarize how great I'm good between Megan's size. <laughs> On that note, we have a lot to cover, both for its production and the things connected to it. And unfortunately, one of those things is Bill Maher. Uh, So let's just jump into tonight's first game, Pop Quiz. Everyone knows Pop Quizzes. It was your favorite thing in school besides, you know, joining track that one time to see butts. (laughs) So the first person to yell butts gets to answer the question. Uh, Two correct answers will win you the prize. And please wait until all three options have been given before you answer butts. All right. Question one. Give me the name of Megan's boyfriend. Was it Jim, Jacob, or Jared? What? Mel? I think it was Jared. You are correct. That is one for Mel. It was Jared. (laughs) Question two. What singer makes her family believe that she's a lesbian? Was it Sarah McLaughlin, Melissa Etheridge, or Dido? Butts. Butts. Amelia? Uh, Melissa Etheridge. Correct. 
Question three. Give me the name of the reparative therapy camp. Was it straightforward, guiding home, or true directions? But, Ro? um, what is, what is true directions? You are correct. <laughs> nice. All right. I hope everyone likes math. Because for the final question, I'm going to ask you, how many steps are there in the program? Was it five, six, or twelve? But... Ro? Is it five? You are correct. Yay! Our winner this time is Ro. Ro, you, would you like to hear what you've won? I would like to hear what I've won. You've won the ability to summarize the film. Oh, great. <laughs> so... Natasha Leone plays a Femi cheerleader. I know, but hear me out. <laughs> Her name is Megan. She has a jock boyfriend, and she eats tofu. And eating tofu is apparently enough to make you a lesbian in the late 90s. Megan's a lesbian. Her family and friends are not having it, and they call RuPaul Charles to come in and hold the gayest intervention ever. They cart her off to conversion camp called <laughs> New Directions, and it is an actual Barbie dream house. Like, blues... Pinks, the gender binary, threw up on this house. You have no idea. Miss Mary Brown runs the joint. Mary tries to get our sweet Miss Megan to admit that she is a homosexual. Also around this time, we meet Graham, who is our lesbian love interest. Also, there's a car on the line. So you get really nice comedy bits. You get a lot of sissy queens trying to chop wood and change car oil. Some really suggestive broom work from a real muscle hunk. A goth girl using her electroshock therapy wand to do some <clears throat> extracurricular work. And some really wholesome lights off clothes on lesbian love scenes. So... The end of the film. Miss Mary Brown's neighbors, the militant XX gays, sneak our favorite campers out for a night at the gay club. Mary Brown finds out. Shit goes sideways. Megan is disowned from her family and kicked out of conversion camp. And her love interest, Graham, chooses to trust fund over her. She moves in with the XX gays next door. Miss Megan and Prince Zuko crash graduation to rescue Graham. And Miss and Megan does a cheer for Graham, who is so touched that she gives up her trust fund and runs away with Miss Megan. And that is But I'm a Cheerleader. Ooh. I'm sorry if that was a bit long. <laughs> this is literally episode one. That's <laughs> right. So this film was one of the first lesbian comedies and one of the first queer films focused on a lesbian pr protagonist that didn't fall under the stereotype of being a, a bull dyke or a woman who had masculine traits to show that she was a lesbian. Uh, its hypersaturated colors made it stand out from nearly everything at the time and most things since. Uh, most of the cast and crew still look back fondly. Natasha Leone has said very openly that it is one of the films that she holds closest to her heart. Uh, but the experiences of the audience are equally as important. So it's about time that we hear from the audience's first experiences and what it meant to them. We'll start with Mel. Okay, so I, I, I do unfortunately have to give the caveat here that this is a bit of a sad, depressing story, but I think a lot of baby queers are going to be able to find that relatable, and even older queer people as well, was that I was never sent to conversion camp. I'm actually not even really out. Uh, I am in what presumably looks like a heterosexual marriage. That is an important distinction that I need to make here. But as a child, I started to have feelings for girls and attraction. And what I would do was I would replace any mentally, if I saw a man and woman kissing in a movie, I would try to train myself to want to train to kiss the guy instead of kissing the girl. And I had ingrained this into myself so much that when 
one of my sisters was watching this movie and I was pretending not to watch it with her. I was failing, of course. I was mentally replacing myself alternately with either Natasha Lyonne or Cleo Duvall because, honestly, I wanted to kiss either one of them. I freaked myself out a little bit, but that was my first experience with this movie, and I pretended to not like it because of that. I want to tell you I was about 11 at the time, but I went back and revisited it after I was more open with myself, and it's become one of my favorites. So uh, for me, like I had really bad insomnia in like high school, um, and so I would just literally sit in my room alone, and I wasn't... I didn't really get a lot of like uh, queer characters or anything in the media that I had. Um, so my brother actually taught me like this trick with my CRTV that if you turn the brightness all the way down and the volume all the way down, after my parents like went to bed, like I could turn it back up and you know watch TV, so I wasn't just lying there in the dark. Um, and so I would watch stuff like Adult Swim and MTV, uh, Tech TV, and stuff and. Uh, one day I stumbled onto Logo, um, the, I guess the queer channel, because they were showing a John Waters film, and, uh, I started watching them, and so I had to watch all these movies late at night, and one of the first ones that I had, like, a very, like, oh my god, this is hilarious, actually, was, uh, But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, I actually had to, like, stuff a pillow in my mouth to keep me from laughing so loud. Um, my connection to this movie is not quite as deep because I'm not female presenting nor am I a lesbian but um I did come into this movie at a time when I was discovering my sexuality um one of the things that I did immediately after realizing that I was queer was start to look for as many movies and as many uh, pieces of media that I could find for uh, representation so I could see what it's like to be a queer person out in the world. And one of the first movies that I found was But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, and I watched it, and I remember having, you know, quite a visceral reaction to it because it's a comedy set at a conversion camp. It should be a serious subject, but they managed to make really, like, they managed to make a really serious subject into a light-hearted comedy. Um, and it presented a lot of information to a new out and queer row that I think was very valuable in the rest of my coming out. So that's that's my story with this movie. Yeah, so I mean, um, like I think I said in my little blurb, I first watched this movie when I was like in middle school. Um and one of my friends had just come out to me as a lesbian. So, you know, it was, like, a big part of, of her, like, trying to explore what that meant and stuff like that. Um, it was also one of the movies that kind of made me realize that I wasn't straight. Because, you know, I grew up with fairly conservative parents that definitely were not accepting of the gay community. And so it was, like, one of those things that I would have, like, never even thought was okay for me to do. Um so, like, any any kind of attraction that I had felt before, like, I just kind of tried to push it to the back of my head or not think about it, you know? Um, but watching this movie was actually pretty formative and, like, making me realize that, like, a lot of those things are okay. And I think a big part of it is just because it does, like, satirize heteronormative, like, culture and anxieties around queerness in a way that 
especially as a young person looking at it, just made me really question a lot of those kinds of roles and, like, ideas and also see how silly they were. There's probably also, like, a bit of, like, with with cable and then the internet, like, people got to, like, uh, experience more queer media, more queer voices, more queer f- filmmakers in general, which is, which is why it's so infuriating. There were quite a few reviewers that compared it to the films of John Waters. And it wasn't like a specific John Waters film, it was just like the films of John Waters. But I mean, honestly, this has more in common with Bristol Bruce's Skin Gang than it does of any John Waters films up to this point. Um, I know, when you look at most of John Waters' stuff, um, but I'm a cheerleader seems kind of tame in comparison. Mm-hmm. Speaking of reviews, it's time to find out what critics thought at the time with our next game, Review Review. A game where we look at reviews that we love, hate, or just tolerate. And it looks like Rose is going to start us off this time, so whenever you're ready. All right, let's go. So this is a... An, um, it has a name on it, but I'm going to pretend that it's anonymous. This is an audience review from Rotten Tomatoes, says... I like the message of this film about a teenager sent by her family to retreat where she is to be, quote, quote, cured of her homosexual tendencies, but not much else. Let's all accept each other for who we are, by all means. But there were so many lame jokes and stereotypes in this movie that I could not stop rolling my eyes. One star. (laughs) And what do you think about that? (laughs) Let's talk about stereotypical homosexuality. The actors are campy. The situations are campy. You have, like, limb-wristed kind of sissy femme boys trying to chop wood and throwing the axe all over the place and running around. It's very stereotypically um, set. And by today's standards, it certainly could seem a bit regressive. But I would argue that the stereotypical behaviors are super important to this movie, not only in style and theme, but as benchmarks for the characters as they move through the five-step program. Fundamentally, you can see through those stereotypical behaviors, especially during graduation, that nobody's actually changed at all. And this is a fundamental part of the, the film's message. You are who you are, and the only thing you can affect is how you act in front of people. Yeah, so the one that I found was just... Um, one of the Google reviews, um, and it was a one that was just, um, one of the five stars. It wasn't one of the bad reviews, <laughs> um, but it just says, I wasn't even alive when this came out, but somehow it feels nostalgic. A lot of LGBT kids, whether they be out closeted or confused, can see themselves in these characters, good acting and good music choices. All the slow, the ending made me tear up a little bit. Um... Yeah, and I just think I like that review because it speaks to kind of, like, the timelessness of, like, the experience that, like, discovering who you are as a queer person kind of has. And I think even now with, like, the the amount of media and just kind of more widespread acceptance of it, I think it can still be, especially for people in towns that haven't really caught up politically with that kind of thinking um, or socially this movie can still speak true to that experience a lot. All right. And our final one is from Mel. Okay. So I went with the standard, uh, may he rest in peace, but I did read a Roger Ebert, uh, review, which he gave it three stars. And I, I somewhat agree with him. I somewhat don't. Um, probably my biggest irritation is that he 
explicitly calls Graham Megan's best friend at True Direction. They were roommates. <laughs> they were roommates. Yes, exactly. And because I know where to say straight romance, he would have probably alluded to the fact that this would not be a spoiler. It would have been, oh, and the man she inevitably falls in love with, there would have been a line there. What's more, he says, it's not a great breakout comedy, and I'm gonna, I have to disagree there, because it is a breakout comedy. It set, it did things that people hadn't really done before. That was part of why I got slapped with the NC-17 rating to begin with. We've, it wasn't normalized yet. It still isn't normalized enough. Let's go on to a new segment called Dear Blathgar, Why? Um, in which we discover stupid things about the movie. <laughs> This is my non-paying job. This is what I do now. So director Jamie Babbitt and RuPaul appeared on Bill Maher's Politically Incorrect alongside two members of the gay conversion church called the Parents Friends Ministry. Uh, so good news, it doesn't seem like they're around anymore, or at least they don't have a web presence. And the bad news is that like Babbitt just drops the ball defending her position in this. Yeah, it seemed like she was more there to promote her movie, which is fine. She should be there to promote her movie. But she fell into that trap where she was trying to use her movie as evidence. And this is not a direct, this is not a biographical story. This is not a thing that happened. You don't get to use that as your evidence. Uh, There is, there was this one part that I really got kind of annoyed with, um, where Jamie Babbitt correctly says that parents were sending their kids to these conversion therapy camps which does happen and then she just lets it go and doesn't actually you know you know how you used to see on old daytime television shows like those rehabilitate like your goth child shows like various sort of reactionary television and that's what this seemed like to me they were giving a lot of platform to people who just had very sick and twisted ideas about what it means to be gay and i think like for me personally the thing that really like just disappoints me the most about this entire thing is that like in the grand scheme of things this isn't going to change anyone's mind but i mean that's just politically incorrect in the nutshell right <laughs> oh god <laughs> and spe- right <laughs> and speaking of things that should have gone differently this film's rating so babbitt actually thought that this film was going to get a g or pg rating because it was so toned down arguably the only thing that like you know is is risque is basically just the masturbation scene but when the mpa came back with a rating they originally gave it an nc-17 and told her that you know it was just too sexy for the tweens there's actually this really good interview in Variety that just came out for the 20th anniversary where Babbitt discussed a lot of things, including her interaction with a member of the MPAA to get the rating down from an NC-17 to an R. And she had originally talked about this situation in the documentary film This Film Is Not Yet Rated alongside queer filmmakers like uh, Kimberly Pierce of Boys on Cry and John Waters. And things are really different now when it comes to marketability and access to films. But at the time, if your film had like an NC-17, it was sunk. And if you're target audience was like you know teens and tweens 
getting an R rating meant that none of them go see it, you know, without their parent present. How awkward is that taking your parent to go see a queer film when you're like a, a teenager? But like the biggest thing is that like nothing happens in this. There's not even like any like dicks. There's no dicks in this movie. Uh, the closest this film gets to nudity is some gratuitous shots of cheerleader butt in the opening. We, we also have like nude suits. Right. The nude. Oh, yes. The nude suits from Step 5 simulated sexual lifestyle. Oh, God. That, that, that whole scene was just amazing i mean it's kind of weird to think that the mpa actually doesn't really have that much power nowadays so if this movie had come out like this year uh it probably would have done a lot better and had a lot more success than it originally yeah. did yeah I'm, I'm thinking probably a pg-13 with how it had it like there is no way it was going to get a g and i'm i'm sorry to babbit but it shouldn't with what was kept in there it shouldn't have been a g i don't know Maybe her original script was a bit more tame. I don't know. But also, you kind of want a PG-13 for this because that's what tends to attract the teenagers. Right. And she did say she did say in a lot of interviews that she was marketing this film towards teens in or entering into high school because that's who the message would affect the most. Yeah, it makes sense. You, you gotta go for the things that tweens like, like Bruce LaBruce, uh, whose films are on Amazon right now if all the tweens want to go and rent them. Um, oh, you know. please go rent Bruce LaBruce films, please. <laughs> or, you know, just order Raspberry Reich on DVD. <laughs> because with the internet, ratings don't matter because, like, you can't really stop people from doing what they want and getting the media they want. I actually have seen Raspberry Reich. I um, own Raspberry Reich. <laughs> I'm not surprised you own Raspberry Reich. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole section of this film is not yet rated where they talk about queer film in particular and how it's rated uh it really just shines a light on um and this wasn't even that long ago this film is not yet rated came out in what the early 2000s right it was before i went to college so like i think oh five oh six and that's that's not that long ago that's only 15 20 years ago um and you have to you have to wonder how much of that is still prevalent in the film industry today um, even with the leaps and bounds that have been made in representation in casting and crew. Like, look at it this way. Um, there have been definitely a lot of, like, backlash when it comes to queer content in film from, like, parents. Like, just thinking back about, like, our adolescence. Uh, like, I remember, like, teachers, like, ragging on uh, Brokeback Mountain as Ang Lee wanted to, like, just destroy cowboys by making them gay. That was an actual quote. Cowboys have always um, been gay, sweetheart. <laughs> but, like, nowadays, parents only get, like, really angry when, like, something uh, something viral hits, like the suicides of 13 right. years why. It, uh, it, it, takes a, it takes a lot to face today's parents, because today's parents were yesterday's children. <laughs> and much like yesterday's children, many of the people connected to this movie have grown and become successful in their own right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much so let's find out what they've done since this film so Cl- Clea Duvall is an award winning actress that was in Girl Interrupted she played Lizzie Borden in the Lizzie Borden Chronicles and a recurring role on Heroes I've only seen two of those to be honest uh, she continues to be good friends with both Natasha Leone and Jamie Babbitt 
Kathy Moriarty achieved success and has been in many noble things, but I will always remember her for the villainous role as Kerrigan and Casper and Casper and <laughs> Wendy. Uh, it was it was a great villain role. <laughs> uh, fun fact: her line "You can run off with Megan and turn into a raging bull dyke" is actually a callback to a role in Raging Bull, which netted her an Academy nod for Best Supporting Actress. Melanie Linsky, who played Hillary, uh, also the New Zealand one, not the Australian one, as I incorrectly thought, uh, has appeared in Detroit Rock City, Will Never Have Paris, and Voice Beatrice in Over the Garden Wall. Also starred in Heavenly Creatures with Kate Winslet. Thanks for that, one Amelia. Dante Bosco was the leader of the Lost Boys in Hook. That's not all he did and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Uh, he was also the voice of Prince Zuko in Avatar, but most people remember him fondly as Jake from American Track and Jake Long. RuPaul hosts some reality competition show about cars and wigs. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> ever heard of it. It's, 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 not, kinda... it's not that popular. It shows on, what is it, VH1? It's very neat. I think so. VH2. I think it's on Freeform. I think it's, it's on Freeform show. for sure. <laughs> Um, so Ming still went on to be arguably one of the only good things in some future films we're going to watch later on Um, she continued to work with her friend and director John Waters and she is the only person to appear in all of his feature films to date actually now that I think about it maybe her inclusion was the reason that we kept getting John Waters comparisons (laughs) anyway Let's talk about Jamie Babbitt, who has continued to direct, even working with Clea Duvall and others in films like The Itty Bitty Take the Bitty and has made a strong amount of feature films as well as directing and writing for TV shows. Her latest, The Stand-In, is a comedy that stars Drew Barrymore and was released a few weeks ago on December 11th, 2020. So good on her for finding success in a world where a lot of queer directors just, you know, fizzle, burn, and just go away. Here, here, And there is just... So much to discuss with Natasha Leone that we turned into our final game. So get your butt voices ready as we play But I'm Natasha Leone. So let's learn more about Natasha Leone, her roles, her films, and the people connected to her. But you know, mostly like the last part of that. You know, Natasha Leone may not have gotten her start with But I'm a Cheerleader, but she certainly didn't stop after becoming one. So the first person to get three questions right wins the Best Friend Award for this episode. Natasha Leone and Jamie Babbitt have worked together since this film. Which of these was a series they both worked on? Orange is the New Black, Drop Dead Diva, or Russian Doll? Butts. Amelia? Russian doll. Correct. Ooh, good one. Babbitt will probably be back for season two. Hopefully they can add more Russian accents because they're like, not so far. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Natasha starred in Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. Its director, Matthew Bright, also writes a good amount of films. So which of these other cult classics did he write? Richard Elfman's The Forbidden Zone, Don Thacker's Motivational Growth, or Joe Dante's The Burbs? But... Amelia? Is it The Burbs? That is incorrect. Damn. Is it Richard Elfman's The Forbidden Zone, or Don Thacker's Motivational Growth? But... Roe? Is it The Forbidden Zone? That is correct. I did not know that answer. <laughs> Danny Elfman, brother to Richard, and also also just does all the score for Tim Burton, uh, reportedly did the score for the first Freeway film for $5 because they were friends growing up, and they also both worked on The Forbidden Zone. 
All right, question three. Leon appeared in the fourth wall breaking queer drama Party Monster. But trust me, you don't really need to be a party monster to know which musical monster also appeared in this film. Was it Ryan Adams, Marilyn Manson, or Britney Spears? What? Mel? Marilyn Manson? That's correct. Manson made a disco song for the film called The La La Song, which he performed as superstar Christina. Question four. Her appearance in the documentary Now episode Searching for Mr. Larson, A Love Letter to the Far Side, references which controversial documentary? Was it Dear Mr. Watterson, The Secret Cruelty of Jim Davis, or My Uncle Scott Adams? But... Ro? Is it Dear Mr. Watterson? That is correct. That makes sense. If you get this one, you win. Um, I made two of those up, but I secretly want one to be real, and you'll have to guess in your minds. Um, question... I bet I know which Question one. Question <laughs> five. Leon appeared in many low-budget comedies with queer interests, such as the film GBF. What does GBF stand for? Get back, fucker. Give blowjobs, frankly. Or gay best friend. Uh, but... Bye. Amelia? Is it gay best friend? That is correct. All right, and we're at the final question, which means that it's Roe versus Amelia in one final head-to-head. In 2021, she will appear as Tallulah Bankhead in the United States versus Billie Holiday. What was Bankhead's famous last words? Codeine? Bourbon? Or, damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. Butts! Amelia. It's, damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. No! No! Damn it! That damn was, it! That was Joan Crawford. But damn I, it! <laughs> wow! But I mean, if we're going to be honest here, I mean, I think Bankhead could deliver that line better. <laughs> Honestly? <laughs> Ro wins. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I would have guessed the exact same thing. <laughs> Just shows what a just shows what a bad gay I am that I don't know what Joan Crawford's last words are. Well, now you do. You're I welcome. Do. Natasha Leone is a very well respected actress nowadays and has appeared in American Pie, Orange Is the New Black, Russian Doll, Kate and Leopold, which is also known as Girl Interrupted Two, Scary Movie Two, Pee Wee's Playhouse, and many more. Uh, we honestly don't have enough time to emphasize how amazing Leone is, but uh, we highly suggest that you try out some of her work if you haven't already. But before you try those out, why not try out our final thoughts? Uh, so all I've got to say on this movie is it's it's fun, okay? If you want something that's queer and lighthearted and isn't going to be depressing, because let's face it, a lot of the first gay movies where they wanted the characters to be treated sympathetically ended up being kind of depressing. And it's just nice to have something with a happy ending, especially in a year like 2020. So please, just take the time and watch the movie. Um... I want to address one small thing in the movie, and that is that at the end, Graham forgoes the trust fund and the car to run away with Natasha Leone, who is obviously the love of her life. Um, I think a great point was made in the screening of this movie that we had, and that was she should have taken the money and then run away. Um <laughs> If you're going to get that sweet, sweet trust fund money, you know, it would go a long ways to help you out because you're obviously going to be supporting both yourself and your new girlfriend. So, you know, keep in touch, get that money, bide your time, do what you got to do. Buy a house in Fiji and then just, you know, sneak Buy a in house there. in Fiji. 
let give Take it to the straight NATO people the peace and satisfaction of knowing that you got that car. <laughs> when we when we make, when we remake this as a musical, there has to be a number called "Get That Car." Oh yeah, get yes. that car. <laughs> Alternate ending. <laughs> All right, you got anything, Mamilia? Um, yeah, I just, uh, I guess there was that quote that Graham says, um, where she tells Natasha Leone, like, people, you can't change people. Like, people are going to love who they love and they're going to be who they are, which I think is, like, the biggest takeaway that anybody that's young at that age that Bobbitt, not Bobbitt, Jesus Christ. It's Babbitt, like that. Babbitt, that... (laughs) Just so like Babbitt said that she intended, you know, um, she intended, you know, this movie to be for like teenagers, young teenagers um, that were just like getting into high school and stuff. And I think that's like the biggest takeaway that you can get from that movie. And the most important message probably that you can come away with as a young person is that you can't change people just by sending them to a camp where you enforce gender roles on them. Uh, They're going to love who they love and they're going to feel how they feel about their gender identity. Um, yeah. I'd just like to add that it's kind of, having watched, I'm trying not to toot my own dick, but like having watched nearly 200 pieces of queer media over the past year, um, alone, uh, it's really refreshing to see such vibrance and such humor and such energy brought to a movie. Um, because even a lot of the comedies don't really have like the energy and, 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 you know, the pacing that this movie has. So I think this is actually one of the strongest movies in the queer cinematic universe. Um, at least that I've All seen. queer movies occur in the same universe. <laughs> Straight people don't exist. This is the perfect place to end this. <laughs> And if you want to share any of your thoughts with us that you have on this movie, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at GayEcapod, which is at G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. So anyway, I'm Nito Kitch, and thank you for joining us. Now it's time to see what my friends came up with for the reboot of this film. So give me an A. Uh, so as opposed, like, we have more genderqueer people, and instead of running away together at the very end, it kind of, they run away in an epilogue after Graham's already gotten her trust fund and her car, and she can provide for both of them so they can live a very happy existence, queer and free, uh, for the rest of their lives. Nice. So give me some M. Okay, so mine is not so much a remake as it is a sequel. Uh, we are going to need the ghost of B. Arthur. We're going to raise her. She's going to go to True Directions. And Mary is going to see the error of her ways when she falls in love with B. Arthur. By the way, B. Arthur plays herself. Is this like a 50 cents Amazon romance yes. novel version? It will be. And it will be amazing. Okay. And you can't spell winner without the letter R. So give me an R. So conversion therapy is a very American problem. So obviously for my remake, I need a 20-episode, hour-long episode Korean drama with the sound effects, the overacting, and everything. I want it produced to the nines. I need sparkles everywhere. Well, I don't want to be that guy, but it looks like we're all out of sparkles, so we'll see you next time. I'm Nito Kitch reminding you that no, those pants will make your ass look fat. Your ass makes your ass look fat. Later.